and welcome to the Science in Partnership podcast from the University of Bristol, a podcast showcasing scientific research and celebrating its real-world impact. My name is Emma Creasy, and I'm the coordinator of the University's Science Partnership Office, or SPO. Joining me today are Dr. Anne Westcott, the manager of the SPO. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Emma. And our guest today is Dr. Andy Humphreys. Welcome, Andy. Good morning. Andy has a two-in-one role, as he's both an academic and an industry professional, uh, being the Aegis Visiting Professor based in our School of Physics, and he's the Chief Technical Officer at Infinitesima, a company that manufactures scanning probe microscopes. Andy founded Infinitesima in 2001 as a spin-out from his research at the university. It's developed a new fast surface measurement technique, the rapid probe microscope, which Andy will tell us a bit more about later. But first, Anne, could I ask you to say a few words about the Science Partnership Office and why we exist, and also a bit about what is the post of Aegis Professor and why have we created that? Yeah, thanks, Emma. Um, so the Science Partnership Office, or the SPO, as we'll probably keep referring um, to it, really set up at the faculty level in the Faculty of Science. And our whole purpose is to foster and generate links with industry, links with business and with government and the third sector as well. And as part of that, we have set up the Aegis Professor Scheme. And Andy, it's great to be talking to you today. Um, you are our first visiting professor in this role. What is an Aegis Professor? Um, well, it means somebody that will support and help us, really. What we're really looking for is that, that voice and that view of how science is being used in the real world at the moment and in industry. And Andy really does that. Thanks, Anne. Andy, it's great to have you with us today. Before we start talking about infinitesima and scanning probe microscopes, let's hear a bit about yourself and how you got here in the first place. So the Aegis Professorship here in the Physics Department is actually where you yourself studied. So did you have an early interest in physics? Well, first, I'd just like to say how delighted I am to be here and how honoured I was to be able to accept, um, accept this position and, and have the chance to talk to you today. So um, I guess my initial kind of memories of what I wanted to do growing up uh, was actually more engineering focused. I'd always been uh, interested in how things work and, uh, you know, very maybe guided by my father, who was an engineer, um, and really felt that was the path that I was going to take. And it was only really later on when I was making sort of final decisions about where to study and what to study that I made a, a decision to move to a more sort of fundamental path and, and take a scientific route. And that, that's when I chose to, to study physics. I suppose physics is engineering at the very basic level, isn't it? How, how things are put together. Well, well indeed. So, and, and I think, um, you know, as we, as we go through this you know, discussion today, hopefully um, uh, it will come out how I think that I very much sit on the borderline between engineering and physics. And that's really served me very well. Yes, we'll talk about um, crossing between subjects, which is really important to us in, in the SPO. Mm. Um, what was it about Bristol that brought you here? First and foremost, you know, Bristol is an internationally recognised um, university with an outstanding physics department. And that, that was the primary reason for wanting to come to Bristol. But then uh, when I visited Bristol, I remember it being very 
you know, very inclusive and a very supportive environment. Uh, and, you know, it's also a beautiful city. So it became quite an easy decision that, that Bristol was the place that I'd like to come and study. Uh, I guess what I didn't realise at that time when I made that original decision to come to Bristol that I might be staying in Bristol for such a long period of time um, because obviously I, I did my, my first degree at Bristol. But then uh, during that time, um, also through really through internationally recognised uh, research, decided to stay as part of the microscopy group um, and that really sort of laid the foundation for the, you know, for the path I ended up taking with my career. So what was the microscopy group? What were they doing at the time? Uh, so, so the microscopy group is actually a group led by Professor Mervyn Miles. Um, and they had a new type of microscopy or relatively new type of microscopy called scanning probe microscopy. Um, but what really drew me to it was the interdisciplinary nature of the um, of the activities of the group. So when I came to the end of my physics PhD, I really wanted to, didn't want to carry on purely in physics, um, but I definitely wanted to stay in research. And so I was really looking for something that was interdisciplinary. Um, and the research group were looking at, at biological systems. So they were using this new form of microscopy to look at biological systems. And that's what really drew me in and, and grabbed my interest. See, we don't normally associate physics with biology because physics can seem a very hard, dry subject with all the hard maths and biology is the squidgy stuff. Yeah. So how do those two come together? Uh, yeah, e excellent question. So, and so because of the way that these microscopes work, they're actually very well suited to looking at, at biological systems. And, and there was the opportunity to work with... Um, uh, the Long, Ash Long Ashton Research Station that's just outside Bristol. But they were looking at, um, at that time, at gluten proteins um, and using these microscopes to understand how the gluten protein functions, which actually is very relevant to, to lots of people who have intolerance. And was that where you did your PhD in that research centre as well? So I was based at the university, but um, had strong links with the with the with Long Ashton uh, Research Station. So what is it about scanning probe microscopy which is good for looking at biological uh, samples that where maybe another microscope wouldn't be able to do that? Yeah, so, um, so, so these scanning probe microscopes work in a slightly different way to what we imagine being a, you know, a conventional yeah, microscope. Yeah, I think you say the word microscope, <laughs> people are thinking of that thing with three lenses sticking out the bottom, sitting on their school lab bench. That's not what you're using, is it? Uh, 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 very, very different. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's called a microscope because it produces images. But apart from that, um, how they work is, is very, very different. And, and actually, um, people always use the analogy to a record player. So they're a form of my mechanical microscope is how I think about it. You have a, a very sharp tip um, that, you, that you bring down onto your surface um, and you, you measure the, the interaction between that tip and surface, you have the force, just like using your finger if you're feeling a surface, and then you move, move that tip backs and forwards across the surface, which allows you to build up a, an image of that, of that surface. Okay. So the and, tip is, is reading the surface and... and making a picture of it but at a really really tiny how tiny are we talking this level well the, i mean the thing the thing that's rather remarkable about these microscopes is that you can image or you can sense um things all the way down to the atomic scale 
So to you know, try and put that in context, um, if, you, if you take a human hair, for instance, which is um, sort of 0.1 millimeters or what we would say is 100 microns across, but if you were to slice that hair into a thousand pieces and then take each of those pieces and slice that piece into a thousand pieces, wow. you then you would then be down at the the the, uh, the lengths of interest or the, the lengths that these these microscopes can can resolve at. And, and 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 sort of coming back to your original question, why are these well so well suited to biological systems? Well, mm. um, unlike first of all, optical microscopes can't offer this resolution. Um, you need to use electron-based microscopes, but electron-based microscopes need to operate in a vacuum environment. And so for biological systems, obviously the vacuum environment um, is not very appealing because these, these microscopes operate in this different way. You can actually operate in liquid environments or, or air environments. So you can look at biological systems in their more native states. It is fascinating. So you can actually look at a living sample. Uh, absolutely. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of work has been been done in that area and some of my original work was to was to look in that that that, that direction um, and some of the challenges that I ended up addressing during my PhD um, was, was was targeted at that and and so you know I, I've kind of sung the praises of these microscopes but one of the disadvantages of these microscopes is they're relatively slow so unlike an optical microscope or, or indeed an electron microscope where you can, you know, we're quite normal, quite used to seeing video images. Yeah. Um, whereas these microscopes, because they have to kind of mechanically sense the surface and build mm -hmm. up the image um, line by line, mm -hmm. uh, that, that means that they're, you know, relatively slow. And so although they can look at living biological systems, um, the, the rate at which they can look at those systems, um, it has been limited. And that was one of the areas of, of my work um, during my, actually slightly after my PhD, but while at Bristol. Um, and actually is an area that has been, you know, now these microscopes can do an amazing, amazing job mm. through, uh, through a lot of research. Do you think, Andy, there will be developments where these types of microscopes will perhaps get faster uh, and, and be able to do that? I know you're working really with semiconductors, aren't you? But it clearly is room for expansion there. Well, we started talking about semiconductor structures. Could you explain a bit about that? Just briefly explain semiconductors and, and what it is in, in your work that you have to do with them. Yeah, so, um, so, so, so semiconductor devices, I mean, we, we, all, we all know that we're craving for um, more and more um, capability in our in our phones and our desktop devices um, and, and I think that people are sort of aware of the the history of the semiconductor market of this uh, you know very famous Moore's law so very famously the 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 ever sort of increasing performance of, of semiconductor devices which um, you know traditionally has been linked to making the semiconductor devices uh, or the transistors uh, smaller and smaller and you know that's really the focus of of Moore's law but very much more recently the devices as they needed to shrink further have have um, become three-dimensional in nature and that's really where uh, the techniques uh, such as scanning probe microscopy fit because not only does it 
develop an image of the surface, but it actually develops a, a height map of the surface. So, so one of the capabilities of these microscopes is they can measure three-dimensional structures. Before, was it a 2D process that people were using? Yeah, so, um, so, so the transistors used to be very much planar in nature, um, but then to increase, in, to continue the scaling, as people say, to continue the re reduction in the size of the devices, they need to go from a planar two-dimensional structure to a three-dimensional structure. Um, and that, mean, that meant that metrology techniques um, you know, are now required in order to, to measure that, that the heights of the structures or the, the depth of the features that are being manufactured. And, and that's really the opportunity that's been created for infinitesimal technology. How did you get on to founding Infinitesima in the first place? So presumably you found that there was this niche in the market. Did you do work yourself on improving the microscopy techniques to start with? Infinitesima started because of a sort of a sequence of, of events. Um, and so during my PhD and also the, the research group at Bristol, um, we were developing new techniques to enhance the capabilities of these of these scanning probe microscopes and, and these techniques. Um, and, and that really sort of led to us wanting, or other research groups uh, wanting to collaborate with us and utilize those, those techniques that we were, mm. we were producing. Uh, and one of the areas, one of the things that we had developed was a, was effectively a box of electronics that you could connect up to the microscope and it offered certain enhancements. Uh, to the capabilities of the, of the microscope. So, so we found ourselves in a situation where we were making these boxes of electronics to be shared with other, other research groups. Um, and also around that time, and I think this is, you know, this has continued and has been a strong focus of, uh, of, the, of, of universities, is to look for ways in which to exploit the developments that are being made within the university other than just the yeah. academic exploits but also the commercial exploits so so at that time we had a lot of support um, from the university to look at ways to protect the developments that were being made in our research and we actually that, that led to us filing a number of patents with, with the support of the university of bristol is it fair to say then that you kind of saw you definitely had a market because you had those internal groups who were looking um, towards you to provide things for them, other researchers, other groups within the university. And then you started to think about the market that might be external as well. Um, Absolutely. So, so we, we realised that there was a market for these, for some of the developments that we were making in the research group. And that, that's really what led us to um, to start a business. Mm. Um, at that time, we didn't really know what that meant, um, and we we actually sought external advice from because there was actually five of us involved in starting the business, uh, and one of the one of one of the members of the team uh, had had a friend who had just been through starting up a a company and sought his advice, and mm. and as as these things go, he. He actually ended up in investing and being our first investor in the in the company, and, and that that's what really started 
uh, starting. It's so helpful to have that real, to have somebody who's just had the experience of going through that, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. And taking advice um, and listening to people, I think it is, is one of the key, the key takeaways for me from going yeah. through this, this, this process. So that, that's what led, led to the beginning of infinitesimal. Um, and, and, and that started us down this road. We were very small. I think we had one person that was based in the, in the physics department and the physics department was incredibly supportive. But then we'd sort of started the ball rolling um, and we'd taken some investment and that meant that you had commitments to people, mm. the person that you've employed or the people you start to employ, the Very investors, <laughs> in, in, in the investors. And, and so we carried on down this, this path and that led to us uh, taking further investment. And in actually in 2004, we, we'd sort of grown to a size, I think we we're maybe five people. And we, we decided to leave the, um, the physics department. We released a high-speed imaging product that was still focused at, at scientific research and still focus at really biological mm. um, imaging. But when we, when we put that into the market, we then received a huge amount of interest from, from the semiconductor uh, community. Uh, and they, they shared their kind of interest and requirements to, to start measuring these, the, the, the devices that they were fabricating. Uh, and that, re- that led us down the direction of moving away from the research market and mm. and as we we now are completely uh, focused on the semiconductor market. Fascinating. Would you would you call that serendipitous moving towards the semiconductor industry, or would you call it calculated and uh, uh, you know it was part of the plan, or did you just see this extra application? You know my background in pharmaceuticals, and often we find that a drug developed for one thing is actually very good for something else. Um, <laughs> Serendipity is quite important sometimes at the beginning of a business, maybe. I think it's, it's partly through, I mean, we, we, had, we had, you know, investors in the company. We, had, um, we were seeking advice on how to move the business forward. And, and so partly putting the product in the market was, was to dip your toe in and see where the interest lied. Yeah. One of the challenges with the semiconductor market is a very large market, the, the, the equipment is very, very complicated. So we decided as a business model, we would focus on our core competences and we actually put our technology into a module and we were looking for people that would then take that module and integrate it into their equipment and then provide that to, to the end users. And we were really fortunate to be able to build a partnership with, with Zeiss um, who were the first company to, you know, to really work with us to take our technology into the semiconductor market. We, we always felt that we could offer this nanometer resolution imaging in, in an atmosphere environment without having to go to vacuum. But something that we had learned very quickly is that scanning electron microscopes are incredibly capable tools. And the idea of trying to compete with an incumbent technology that's so versatile was, was not going to be a successful route. Uh, mm. So, so what, we, what we found is that our technology can also work in vacuum. So actually, we developed the technology to work in vacuum alongside 
a scanning electron microscope. And the, the opportunity with Zeiss was um, looking at the photo masks. So when you make a semiconductor device, it's, it's, um, you use optical lithography to actually print the devices onto the wafers. And that means you need a negative or a photo mask. Oh. And the, the product that Zeiss were producing was about this, this photo mask, manufacturing these photo masks. But, but in the semiconductor market, um, everything has become so complicated and so small that you can't fabricate one of these photo masks perfectly. You, 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 you do your best to produce one and then you have to repair them. And so we, or our technology was incorporated into a product produced by Carl Zeiss called their Merit Next tool, which is a tool that repairs photo masks. Uh, they actually use a scanning electron microscope to do the repairs. So our module sits alongside their scanning electron microscope and provides height information that the scanning electron microscope can't provide. So it provides complementary information and assists in the ability to, to repair these photo masks. So it sounds like the, one of the important things for your business was in, as you've said, sticking to your strengths and very much recognising your niche in this market and being able to do the things that other existing equipment can't do. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think that also one of the lessons that I've learned is to, you know, keep it simple. Um, things get complicated, complicated enough on their own. So, um, yeah, so stick to your, your, your strengths and, um, and particularly if you're a small company, you need to spend your resources wisely. So our initial business model was to put all of our, our, our efforts onto what we knew yeah. um, and, yeah. and and producing a module focused on our competences. Yes. So you've ended up with this this box, as you say, box of electronics that other people can, to be very simplistic, plug in to their own equipment. Absolutely. That was very much the, the, the concept of the, uh, of the business so model. So does it have to still be tailored to a particular bit of kit that it's working with, or is it fairly universal? So, so it needs to be tailored, and, and that's where building, you know, good partnerships and relationships with the companies that we're working with is, is absolutely key. Mm. How, how much work do you think you do on the relationship side of things as well as the technical side of things? So, so me personally, I, I would say that um, particularly these days, I think more than half my time is, is, um, is kind of external facing, talking to um, external, external parties, parties and, you know, looking for new business opportunities. Yeah. Right. It's a very large part of my job, yeah. Is that something you think you already were good at or is that a talent you've had to hone during the course of running your business? I think it's a talent that I've had to hone and, and actually right from the beginning of starting my PhD, I always put myself forward to, to pre present at conferences, um, although it was not necessarily a very comfortable thing to do. Mm. Uh, it's very much something that, that I felt was very important. So working outside comfort zones would probably be another part of your advice to people <laughs> trying to make it out there. Indeed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that, that's hard work and you need to stick at it and it takes sort of motivation, your personal motivation, yeah. but, but 
but yes yes very much um I, I was thinking about some, you know, that an early career researcher might be listening to this, Andy, and be quite inspired by what you're talking about. If an early career researcher was listening to this and thought they had some good ideas, or just say, help us understand how physics supported you mm. in university. Well, I think the research group I was in, I was very fortunate that um, that we had a lot of external connections. Um, so we had a lot of opportunities to to attend conferences, to visit other research groups. You know, if you go to a conference, it's more comfortable to present a poster. But actually, I think that if you, if you, if you put yourself forward and you have the opportunity to, um, to present um, orally, yeah. you know, then, Get then I think... Get up there and do it. People remember it, you. Indeed, it really gives you a chance to build those relationships and, and make those connections with people. Do you, now that you've you obviously got your niche in that market with the semiconductor industry where do you see infinitesima going next with its technology so so infinitesima and it's a company so it needs to be focused and we're still a small company um so as, as i mentioned you have to be careful how you how you expend your resources so so as so infinitesima as a company is is, is 100 focused on the semiconductor market um, and now that we, you know, we have, we've built up that experience and we've been in the market, the direction for the business now is to take the step of building our own tool. So, the, you know, I mentioned that we focused on the module initially, but now the, the direction for the business is to, is to put the ancillary parts around that core technology and actually build our own, our own tool. And, so that that's sort of that's sort of I guess the core direction um, of the sort of the, the commercial opportunity for the business, but then around that we're now also starting to work with uh, you know research groups. So we, we're working with uh, an internationally renowned research group called IMEC in Belgium, and we're starting to look for other capabilities that our technology can can bring. And one area there is that these microscopes, I kind of describe them as this mechanical microscope. So you can, you can not only feel a surface, but if you, if you do it in the right way, if you, if you increase the forces, you can actually manipulate the, the surface as well. Now, normally you don't want to change the surface of the thing you're looking at, but in certain situations, you, you may want to manipulate the surface. And so one area that we're now looking at is, is performing tomography of surfaces. So we can use the tip to remove material from the surface and then we can use a second tip to image the surface and by doing that sequentially we can then build up three-dimensional um, tomographic images of, of, of samples so so those those are the directions that we're primarily looking at at the moment so it's kind of full circle you started in research you took that research out and made a company out of it and now that's going back into other people's research labs to look for other applications. Very, very much. And, and I think that for any company to be successful, you always have to be looking to the future. So, mm. uh, so to continuing, continuing to look for new opportunities, continuing to, um, to perform fundamental research or you know, working with research institutes is, is a very key part of, of continuing uh, the, yeah. the, the future of the business. 
a research-intensive business, really. Absolutely, and particularly in a business um, or in areas like the semiconductor industry, which is always working at the forefront of technology. Uh, if you don't continue to develop your your capabilities, then you know, then you will be left behind. Mm. And it makes me feel that you know, you being an Aegis professor, it's such a good it's such a good fit. You can see so why it's so valuable for both the researchers that are here at the university. Um, to have your input and to understand that journey that you've you've been on, it's, it is inspirational. Um, but also, as Emma says, that other research comes up. So all the connections that we foster, you can't always see where they're going to go, can you? But um, that, that, that's right. You, and I, th- I think that that's one of the you know, one of the the beauties of the you know, of the academic environment. Is, is that very much, um, I think, that the more flexibility, the more freedom to, to innovate and, and maybe follow those paths um, mm. is, is a real, it's a really, real, really privileged thing to be able to do, but also yeah, really powerful. Yeah, um, but also to be able to think about the application, because as you've said, and as I've heard lots of other researchers saying, knowledge for knowledge is sake and having the freedom to do that is what universities are great at but it's it's really exciting to see your work taken and have an impact as well outside yeah i can completely agree and and i think this is one of the um i had a very difficult decision whether to stay in academia or, mm. or move into industry and because uh, i was i was all set for an academic career um i had the fortune to have a, a fellowship and and actually that led into, I had a lectureship at Bristol, which, um, and I was 100% <laughs> committed to an academic career. But then um, the, I guess the kind of the responsibility of having started the company, um, but also wanting to to see that research through into a product Mm. into into sort of commercial applications is then what, what what eventually pulled me out of pure research into into the commercial world uh, that's obviously why as Anne said you're such a great fit for the aegis professorship you, you you can have this foot in both camps you obviously feel comfortable in the world of academia and the world of commercial business mm. um do you think there might be people perhaps who've who've developed a product themselves maybe not in academia and making a business, who might be a bit nervous about approaching academia with their product, their work. I could completely understand that, and and something that I've seen is that is that having you know, having that background in academia does give you that comfort, that connection, and and it is a very different environment, the academic environment, and and I think it, it can be difficult to bridge those those gaps and I would you know very much hope that and I'd be delighted <laughs> to to facilitate that conduit and uh, you know that would be I think that having that kind of opportunity through the through this professorship would, would be tremendous. So if maybe somebody in the commercial world had a product that they would like to take further but was maybe a bit nervous about taking it into academia what would you say to them about what academia can offer them and perhaps what, what they could af- offer academia in return? 
Um, so I guess the commercial world can offer the, the focus and the goals of um, sort of the requirements um, for what what they need to deliver to create a product to to solve people's problems. Uh, but the academic environment gives, well, I think it gives, it gives many things, but it gives a wonderful space to innovate. And, and I certainly didn't appreciate that when I was 100% in academia, how important the environment was. We always spoke about the environment and making sure that we, we had the space to discuss and, uh, and think. Um, but until you step out of academia, you maybe don't realise how precious that is and how, how difficult an environment that is to create. So, so the academic environment brings that, but it also brings great, great depth you know, the expertise of the individuals in the, in the particular areas, uh, you know, is, is tremendous. So, so I think, so the, the academic environment brings that space to innovate, but also great, great depth. And the commercial environment really brings a knowledge of, of what problems you know, people in, in their everyday lives or, or you know, pe- what, what problems people would like to solve and, and therefore what products um, need to be developed. I know that you've worked um, with Yap, who was our faculty business fellow until recently. And um, have you had a PhD student working with you, Andy? Is that a way that um, we could work together um, on on research that both allows the PhD student to pursue their careers, but also meet some of your goals as well, Andy? Infinitesimus goals, I should say. No, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have a really good relationship with with Bristol University and other academic institutions. But you always need a common goal. Um, or or, or you, you, you both have to have a win-win relationship when you work on something together. And so recently, we're actually very fortunate to... Um, through, a, through an IAA grant, so an impact accelerator account with the University of Bristol, we had um, a student or a postdoc join us full-time uh, to, to look at image analysis and look, help us understand our, our data. And so we were able to bring somebody from, from an academic um, background and actually he stayed very much within the academic environment uh, and he was able to bring knowledge of his, you know, quite different area of research. So he actually had experience uh, looking at fossils and had developed image analysis techniques for looking at fossils. And he was able to apply those to to our our data sets uh, with, with really wonderful results and utilize a completely different area um, of, of study but, but bring um, great value to the business. Again, it's such a good story for, from our <laughs> perspective, I guess, at the faculty of showing, um, working it across schools, because I, I guess that's going to be geographical sciences or other sciences. Um, that, uh, paleontology. <laughs> exactly, paleontology. Uh, and yet that's applicable to the semiconductor industry. It's, uh, that's really, really great. And we should probably just say that that's EPSRC money. So that's kind of the government, business and universities all working 
together there to try to get that impact out, isn't it? And, and, and I have to say, for us, it allowed us to, um, you know, develop real, you know, real commercial value. Um, and it resulted in uh, joint publications and mm. presentations at international conferences. So I think uh, it was a great success on many levels. As you're taking your professorship uh, position forward, obviously you started early this year, bang in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> um, so I imagine that the things you'd hoped to be doing with the post perhaps weren't possible at first, but keeping fingers crossed and hoping we are going to come out of this gradually, what are you looking forward to doing during your post as Aegis Professor? Yeah, super, super question. Um, so it has been a challenge, COVID, for all of us. Uh, so it has made, obviously, face-to-face -face contact impossible. But I, I'm really pleased that, you know, through, through the support of, of the university, I, I have been able to uh, talk to a number of students and, uh, you know, which has been fascinating for myself, but also um, be able to share some of my, my experiences also, next year, I'm going to be involved in a number of final year projects, which, which have a bit of a theme where, you know, there, there, is, there, is, there are links to, to things that Infinitesima has interest in. Um, so there is an opportunity there for, for people getting involved um, to, to also see even what they're doing at a final year project level could have... Um, you know, we would definitely have value outside um, outside their immediate academic kind of focus. The very nature of the semiconductor market always being at the forefront of, of technology is always looking for new capabilities. And there are absolute genuine metrology measurement challenges which do need innovation. And it would be lovely to see if there's areas that can, within the university, that that can feed back into that as well. So we're uh, looking forward to having you with us for a few more years, um, which sounds like it's going to bring an awful lot of opportunities into Bristol. Uh, we've had a lovely rambling chat. Andy, is there anything that you haven't managed to say yet that you wanted to bring up? No, no, I think uh, you've given me a wonderful opportunity to uh, to share, to share um, some of my experiences and my thoughts and hopefully um uh, hopefully if people hear this they they're you know i'm very happy for people to reach out and would, would be delighted to um uh, to just find ways to engage with with the university i just wanted to say thanks andy you really brought brought your experiences to life for us and i think um i think it'd be fun to explore some of those things a bit more in the future as well Great. but thanks so much for your time this morning and for all the great work you're doing as um, an Aegis professor. Thank well, thank you very much, and it's been very enjoyable. Thanks, Andy.